Hello, so everyone. Thank you so much. Amanda. And thank you for joining us for episode two of Burned Ambition. Um, I have Karunji Linetti back this week to complete her story since we didn't have a good uh, connection um, for her first story, but we heard so much about what happened to her. And now we're going to hear about the amazing things she's done since. And I'm going to introduce her back into the studio. Um, here we go. Hello, Karenji. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm so glad to have you I'm back. I'm very and thank happy you for your to get back. <laughs> your your story was so back. wonderful. We, we've all been waiting all week to hear the rest of it. So mm -hmm. I will just, um, just by the way, everyone, I am not doing my makeup this week. If you're on the visual podcast, um, because I had some appointments and I had to in some uh, emergency. So I had to run out. So this week, we're just going to do a really great conversation with Karinji and, and I'm really looking forward to it. And here you have Miss Karinji Linetti and her and the rest of her story. Thank you. Take it. Thank you. Last time when we were talking about my story, I think I'm checking people about like through how it all started, how I was taken to the hospital and how life was in hospital. I remember I told people that life was really so tough when I was hospital, seeing many women dying, many women uh, being rejected in hospital. Many of them didn't have anyone to call a family because they would, they, the acid attack had turned them into something else and they were all seen like a, a ghost. I would say like a ghost, ghosts, because uh, they were all rejected. So they, they didn't have anyone to talk to, anyone to share with their stories. I remember the one year I spent in hospital, I think I would say it was like a turning point because it shaped me into the person I am today. Life was so hard. These women were going really through a terrible experience. You know, this is your husband who has burnt you. You have children to look after, but the, the, this husband is not willing to look after you and he has already damaged your life. So life really had changed. I remember I was uh, still having wounds around my breasts. I told my mother, you know what? I want to go back for studies. Uh, because I, I was burnt when I was just in my first year at the university. So I told my, my mother, I'm ready to go back for my studies because I really want to be a voice to the voiceless, especially the young girls and the women. And of course, my mom to her, it was uh, something which wasn't easy for her to accept because she, she knew the pain I was in. She could see the wounds. I had some fresh wounds around the breast and the armpit had joined. Like uh, I, it, I could not raise the hand. But when I told her about it, of course, like any mother who really wishes the best for her daughter, she said, it's fine. You go back for your studies. So when I went back, of course, the university refused to accept me because I was still not well. But later on, I was accepted. And of course, when, after leaving the hospital, it's when I realized that uh, now this was going to be my life. Life outside the hospital was the worst thing because when you're in hospital, you are 
you feel like you're okay because you're a family. You're able to see other people who are in the same situation like you. You see like the other you. person. Maybe. Yes. So mm-hmm. when you look at the other person who is maybe having scars or the person is just next to your bed and you're, you're all victims or you're all in the band's unit, you feel this is like a home. You don't feel mm-hmm. anything like anything bad. But when you move outside the hospital, it's when you realize that life will never be the same. Yeah. I remember when I went back home, I had to change my identity into a Muslim. I had to cover up my face, like I would cover up all these scars. I didn't want people to see my scars. I didn't want people to notice that I even didn't have the second ear. I didn't want to see any, like any score of mine to be left out. So first of all, I had to change my identity into a Muslim. So I would try as much as possible to cover up for people not to know that I had anything behind, like in the, like I had something which was different from what I used to look like. But I remember wow. one night, the day I went back home, I reached home and I found a very big crowd, like a very big, it was like a, a huge crowd. All these people were waiting to prove that I was alive. Many of them thought I had died and others, they could not believe that I was the one. Others, they, it was like as if they had seen someone else. Like I, in in African setting, we normally say it's like you've seen a dead person. So all these people gathered around. So they wanted to confirm, am I alive or I'm, I'm already dead? But when they looked at me, of course, I remember I just saw tears coming out. And I told them, you know what? I don't want to talk to anyone. I want to be alone. So I had to, to hide myself in the room for some days to accept that this was now going to be me. People are going to treat me that way. Then I remember after... After a, a few months, I went back to the university. Life at the university was hard because now I had to start with a new group of students who didn't know anything about my history. I didn't want anyone to know about my story, so I had right. to keep it for myself. But remember, I had changed my identity into a Muslim, my so God. I didn't want any person to know that I had scars. I started, of course, a journey of my studies. The lecturers thought I was a Muslim. They would call me Hajjat. Hajjat is, I think, uh, the be like uh, it's uh, oh, like a plane. Yeah, Hajjat. Like uh, when you're called a Hajjat, it's like you've gone to Mecca. You are a, a Muslim, a, a, a typical believer who has gone to Mecca. So um, all these people used to call me that, but I didn't know that there was a story behind me. Of course, time reached. I could not associate with anyone. I was so scared of anyone around me. I scared even of any man trying to come across me. Of course, now when it comes to relationships, I think it found a lot of issues like hardships, finding, uh, like falling in love because I could not trust any person called uh, like any man. So I lost the trust in any human being. I had few, I remember in my first year, first semester, when I went back, I didn't have any friend, any person to say was like a close friend. Then time went on, uh, when I started to, to explain, like I like, uh, to explain to my friends about my story, I would see these people disappearing, like trying to avoid me. Many of them got scared because they were thinking that maybe the same thing was going to happen to them. So when I realized that they were scared of me, I decided to keep my story to myself, but it would really hurt me because every day I would come back to the hostel 
look at myself in the mirror and say, I'm a young girl. I'm not yet married. I don't have a child. I'm like this. Who ever loved me? Who ever, will I ever be a mother? Like, I had many questions. So later on, I decided to put all my focus on education. I said, I think it's better I focus on education. If I can get uh, uh, the bachelor's degree, then I'll be able to go maybe for master's or I'll be able to work and achieve my dream. So what I did, I decided to put all my focus, so like all my attention on books. So when I did that, I remember at first, uh, all my friends could keep on asking, but what is she hiding? Because I would put on a Muslim attire, but of course I had this car around. Yeah. Dev, the noise. Dev. So, sorry. So, okay. I, I had a scar, so I'll try to cover up around. But right. time reached time when I went for internship, I said, Lynette, I, I met a group of, there, there were some survivors I met. And these survivors, for them, it was their faces, which were burnt. But they were, because the faces were already burnt, they could, they could not hide anything. They told me, Lynette, you have your face and you're hiding yourself. What about us who have been burnt directly to the face? What can we do? Of course, I told them I would wish to do the same, but it's not easy. Of course, then when I went back, I said, I think if these ladies can move freely, I should also try the same. I went and tried. It was hard. Then later on, I told my roommate, by that time I had got a roommate, I told my roommate, you know what? I'm going to throw away all the Muslim attires, the veils and all the clothes. I don't want anything. I want to be myself. I want to go back to my normal life, to the life I used to live. I don't want to be something else. Of right. course, I was like, how are you going to do that? Of course, I told her, I did just need to believe in myself. Then later on, I started to, I, I, that day, I threw away all the Muslim materials. Then I started dressing up like how I used to dress up before the attack. Then I started planting hair. Now, when I went back to the university, all people were like, Lynette, what happened? These days, everything is changing. You're no longer dressed like a Muslim. What happened? Then, of course, for the students who did know about my story, they were like, I think she had a Muslim man, and the Muslim man maybe like he left her. She maybe a Muslim man dumped her. I think now she's trying to go back to the normal life. She's uh, accepting herself that she's not a Muslim. So she because the relationship is over, she's accepting that. But of course, to me it was okay because they were making fun out of it. But for me it was okay because they didn't know the story behind me, and uh, it helped me. I have a question for you. I, I, I don't want to completely throw you off, but I do know that I and probably all of our listeners are wondering what happened to your boyfriend that threw the acid on you? What happened the, to him? The person or the boyfriend who poured asked on me, he was arrested. But uh, when he was arrested, by that time I was in intensive care, I could not see, all my eyes had closed. So the police came around and they were like, Lynette, if at all we bring this person in a line, we put this person in a line, will you be able to identify the person? 
of course i told them no because i'm blind i can't see anything and like I, you don't expect me to sense someone <sighs> by the sense Right. So the next thing now they started bringing excuses. They say, Lynette, even if you take this person to court, you will not win the case. So if I told you win the case, the sentence is going to be just a few years or two, three to four years. Then they say, well, it is better you just sit down on the table and ask for compensation. Maybe you can ask for the, fam uh, the family about how much you would wish them to pay. Then everything is settled and you let, you let it go. Of course, I told them I can't sit on the same table with the person who burnt me because of money. I'm not looking for money. So I told them what I only need is justice. Let us go to court and let the court decide. I was still trying to tell them that I want to go to court. After around five, they were coming to five days, the person was released. And I was told that the person was no longer in the country. So he was released. So that's how the case died. Of course, I, it was now survival for the fittest. Survival for the fittest. I was trying to to like my parents were really trying hard to make sure they do their best to save my life, and uh, they realized that is putting focus on the case was not going to help them to change anything. So they decided right. to first focus on my life. But of right. course, that's how I failed to get justice. Yeah, that 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 was not justice. I I was afraid that that would be the answer because it seems that um, when I hear of these acid attack cases in Uganda and in Africa and in Asia, where I'm hearing about them, that there's not a lot of uh, punishment or a lot of punishment for the offender, for the person who, for the attacker. And and it also seems very very easy for them to get the acid that they're yes, Tonya. So I think it's like the same thing in Uganda. Why my case died? Firstly, we don't have a specific law on acid attacks. Like I've said, the police officers came to me and said, Linet, even if we take this person to court." You will not win the case, or if you win the case, the sentence is going to be less because when they are trying to come up with sentences for cases of acid attacks, they use the penal code. They don't have a specific law on acid attacks. So that is what they use. So they say in most cases, the penal code has lesser sentences. And it's the, the advantage that most of the perpetrators use because they know there are no specific sentences. So they will try to do all whatever they can because they know there is nowhere you take them or if at all they're arrested, it will be two or three months, three years and they're out. So my case firstly died because there was no specific law on acid attacks. Secondly, the criminal justice system in Uganda, of course, I would say it is the worst. You can't yeah. trust them because at times they're told some of the some of these people are corrupt. Once you give okay. them some money, it is the end of everything. And that's how my case died. Wow. Okay, that that's um that is just so disheartening to hear. I know that you have a um petition that I'll be posting below this um um podcast um on YouTube and all platforms where they can visit your 
website for donations or to sign the petition as I have to help try to get some attention from the Ugandan government, right? Yes. About the petition, maybe I can talk about about the petition. We started the petition uh, last year while we are asking the government of Uganda to sign a law on asset tax. This came after an increase in cases of asset tax and we realized that the government was not doing anything at all, either to support the victims or to make sure the perpetrators are put book. So we realized it was really becoming a big issue in our own society. And if at all we all kept decided to keep quiet, this was going to eat up the entire the entire country because the, country. the young gener- yeah because the younger generation to them it was it like it had really become like uh, a a day to day habit that uh, even if someone attacks you with acid nothing much is going to be done to you to this perpetrator so these people used to take advantage of that that uh, even if they use acid. Nothing is going to be done. So they consider the acid, they had started to consider acid as one of the cheapest weapons of war in Uganda. Because, for example, when you come to Uganda, it's hard for you to access a gun. Right. It's like hard for you to access any weapon. But and when I it understand. comes to acid, yeah, when it comes to acid, you can find it. I'm saying, uh, when you come to Uganda, it's hard to access any weapon, like a gun or any kind of weapon. But when it comes to acid, you'll find it on any street. You'll find it in in most of these shops and they are selling it without any kind of requirement that is going to be asked for. Maybe, for for example, if I'm the one buying acid, these people are not concerned about where am I taking it, what am I going to use it for, and... uh, what could be the, the, the some of the effects that will maybe come out if at all this person doesn't use acid in a good way? What kind of, so this is not what looked type at. Of acid is it? What type of acid is it? In most cases here, they've been using sulfuric acid the times, because mm-hmm. sulfuric is, is very worse. They've been using sulfuric acid because sulfuric is an industrial chemical, which is supposed to be used in waste management. Then they also use hydrochloric acid. That is the <sighs> most common acid that they are easy to they easily they normally access easily. Then at times they use nitric acid. So all these acids are there. They are available. They are if at all you need them, they are readily available. But the effects cannot be reversed. They have the worst. I would say the most traumatizing kind of effects. Perfect. Your and life will never be the same because, like, uh, my ear will never come back. I don't have it, and uh, this is the life I have to live because I've so far undergone six surgeries. But uh, the ear is one of the complicated kind of surgery because that some of these doctors this is something they cannot perform. Mm-hmm. Here, yeah. Years. <laughs> I don't know if you can see mine, but part of that is 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 gone. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the, the right direction. It's a, it's a, yeah, I think um, um, the advantage here. with yours, you have something like a cartilage. And then for my side, I don't have anything completely. None. So it's just mine is yeah, just a hole. 
So see that. So the doctor it is hard for them have. to make something for the ear. So what but, I'm trying to mean that uh, acid really has it is the worst chemical someone should ever use on another person. But and is there something any I would reason for me to diet to other than to attack someone? Is there any reason that I, as just a regular person in Uganda, needs to buy hydrochloric or sulfuric or nitric acid to do to to work on anything, or is it, or is it just well known that that acid is there to attack people? No, of course, acid is an industrial chemical. First of right. all, acid is supposed to be used in industries. It's supposed to be used right. for industrial, like for waste management. Right. It is supposed to be used in laboratories. We right. are not saying acid is, is not only good, like it's not only right. bad, but, but it but why has its good uses. Yeah, but how, why is it sold to someone like me is what I was trying to figure out. Is there something maybe in Uganda that I need it to use for in my in my home, just as a not being in the laboratory or not being in waste management. No, is there anything you're not that? supposed to buy acid for your own home consumption because oh. acid is not a home consumption chemical. It is a oh. dangerous chemical, which is that is and the, when you read the jerkans where it is the where it is always stored, like uh, where it comes when they're trying to import, like to import it. Uh, where they put it, they put it as a note. They say for industrial use. So we keep asking ourselves, if acid is an industrial chemical, why is it in the hands of the public? Why are they that allowing right. people to access it anyhow at any time? And this as now takes us back to the government that I think the government is not doing its job because we expect the government, first of all, to regulate to put up a, a regulatory authority where they are able to monitor the misuse of these kinds of chemicals. Then we also expect the government to make sure that uh, the buyers, the sellers, the importers, suppliers, and any kind of all, all these people who are dealing in acid, they have the proper licenses, they like, or, like have all the proper licenses and maybe permits which are allowing them to operate, to deal in acid. And if at all someone comes to your shop to access acid, these people have to be really very keen about where are you taking it? What are you where, doing? What purpose? It? Which means that these people have to come up with the clear documentations whereby they're able to record each and every kind of, every, every person coming in to buy acid, such that if at all I come to your shop to access acid, if I come to your shop and you ask me for my ID and identity card for myself, maybe why am I taking it? And maybe if I say I run a shop dealing in acid, then you ask me for a, an ID, identity card or a permit for that shop. If at all I'm trying to buy acid for other users, like to ban other people, I will be scared because I know there are some of rules which I have to be followed. But because these people know right. that there are no rules, people just have to buy it at any time there, because they know no one is going to ask you where are you taking it and no one is going to ask for maybe for any document to show to like to prove to them that you really do you really deal in acid so that is what we have really been 
having as the major problem. And of course, that some is, of the motivating some of the motivating factors why this keeps happening, first of all, the legal justice system itself has really failed most of these victims, whereby for those who have really tried to seek for justice, they have not got justice. And this now makes it uh, like, this creates like a loophole, whereby those who are really intending to do it, they see it as one of something, like one of those things which are like, it is, an, it is something which is possible to do without being caught because they have seen like their colleague burnt someone and they were not arrested. So this person would consider that as an example that, oh, I think if I burn someone with acid, nothing is going to be done. So it will be done on a daily basis because the criminal justice system itself has failed others. And of course we have issues of corruption. Uh -huh. One by these people, that could, uh, some of the police officers are a bit corrupt and they will ask for money from the perpetrators and after asking for money, they will release them and tomorrow you will find them on the streets walking when you're expecting them to be in prison. Of course, we have also issues, of course, I've talked about the issues of the, we have a problem of the law and we have talked about it. But of course, we also have one problem here in Uganda whereby it is gender inequality. I would say that. We have a problem right. of gender inequality whereby most of the, in, in the African traditional society or in the African setup, a man should always be a man. They want a man to exercise his roles. If a man tells you that they love you, they expect you to say, I love you too. They don't expect you to be against his proposal. And when you come out as a woman and say no to a man, they see this as, uh, it's like you are trying to, to, go, to go against the cultural traditions. I've seen many, most of these women who have tried to move away from the, the abusive marriages. And most of these people have been banned, but the societies have, co have continued to criticize them, to say, I think they're the ones who did the worst, to say that these women, what they did was not right to leave their homes. And they, they, you hear the society, the society members saying, I think it was right that what the money did was right to ban the woman because why, they, why did she opt to leave the home when she was married? So you realize that uh, a woman <laughs> has the, is, not, is not supposed to have any say in a society, especially in the African setting. They don't expect a woman to say anything. And when you come out to challenge the cultural norms and all these traditions, you are always seen as uh, someone who is just against the cultural tradition, as someone who is trying to be like a wise, we call it a wise like someone trying to, to, to pretend that she is wiser than any other person. And these people will ban you to put in, in order to silence you. So some of these people have been banned because they want to silence them because they are women. They don't want them to exercise their rights as women. And they burn you, and they want to burn your face, probably to to disfigure you from other men. Yes, wanting of to course. Be with why you. they try to why they try to burn the face? Why the target has always been the face? You know, we live in a society where all these people believe that uh, a woman's beauty is her face, uh -huh. or a woman's property is her face. So they assume if they if the person they assume the person the man or any person will assume that if I can complete your face and disfigure you into something else, 
no one will ever look after you no one will ever say maybe i love you no one will ever try to come closer to you because for them they assume it is the face not the heart that that that's just i don't even know what to say back to you i mean i knew that this existed i think a lot of people do but to hear it from someone who survived it and to hear that it feels how hopeless it sounds that someone can throw acid on you and there's no um there's no punishment we deal with that in the united states and different areas with different political things that we're dealing with where certain people can harm others and not be punished. But to have it be so common. And, but you know, what I did notice is that you do a lot of work to help survivors like Godfrey that I saw. And that was a young gentleman too, being burned with acid. So it's not just a crime against women there. It's just a crime basically like our guns in America, you know, and I'm not saying anything good or bad about guns, but it's like our guns in America are the main weapon um, that harms, that we harm each other with. Um, so the acid there is not just for you, for women. It was, it, it's used you know, men acid. too. For acid in Uganda is not specific, it's not for a given group. We have seen young girl, young kids of around four years, three years being no. burnt with acid. We have no, seen men being for the children. In most cases, you find that uh, the the father had issues with the mother. And of course, you know, with children, they will always oh, try to run out, to run to their mothers because of that oh, love. So they for in most cases, these men want to end the life of their mother. And when they see that, or if I, if at all I leave the children to survive, it will keep haunting me. So they decide to end the entire family. We have had many families whereby this man has got maybe a, 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 a whatever, a, a problem with the wife. And instead of just solving the problem, they told them the person opts to pour acid on the woman when this is, he sees the woman is now dead. He pours the remaining content to the children. And the children, but at least for children, we have seen them surviving more than their own parents. So that's how it has been done. Then for the men, most of the men, the causes have been related to land issues, to property issues, and we also have those cases which are related to which are political in nature. And some of these other cases, it's like a mistaken identity. So you realize that, of course, all the different categories of people, men and women, suffer from acid attacks. But uh, I think we have not seen, like, we have not got any kind of support or maybe from the government or maybe to see how can we support these victims because these people now are already victims. They will never be the normal, the normal people, but they have to learn on how to survive, how to deal with the changing society, like the changing identity, how to deal about with it. And of course, there are many things involved, but of course we will we, find that some, there are, there are some even some services which are not in the country. For example, we have many survivors who are blind. 
But of course, we don't have the services to help these uh, survivors undergo some of the trainings, for example, computer trainings and maybe be able to be given uh, computers which are which have voices. So these people at times they can, like, they can turn life life becomes something else because there's the special needs services are not here. So some of these survivors really I'll say the problems they have are really, like cannot be explained. Of recent, we just had Godfrey. Godfrey had his surgery. It was last month. Now it is uh, coming yeah. to a full month. But we have to take care of him. He's still around. He's still in our care. And of course, taking care of him involves uh, looking for money for his surgery, looking for money for his upkeep, looking for money to support him in everything. But of course, all this is support. He needs support. So you realize that because we don't have any kind of support from the government, we don't have much support from even the community around, because we rely on donors. And at times, the donations don't come in every time. It is something we receive on like once in a year or once in a month. So it becomes at times hard for us to support the victims. But of course, as victims, I'm a survivor. And I said, I'll always use the little resources I have to support the survivors. I don't want to wait for, I don't want to keep waiting to get a lot of money that, that maybe right. if I do like get the money, that's when I will use them. But I need to use the little resources available and like to be able to support them. And just tell people as you go, what is your website, please? Um, Karindi, is it Hope for those who would wish, Yes, for those who would wish to know more about uh, Hope Care Rescue Mission, we have a website, it is uh, www.hokram.org. You can reach out to us, we'll get to know, you'll get to know more about us. Then for those who are on Facebook, we have a Facebook page, it's a uh, Hope Care Rescue Mission. You can look at it and maybe you leave it a text message or anything, then for us we'll be able to talk to you. Then we also have an email address for the organization, which is hopcarescuemission at gmail.com. Any kind okay. of support, of course, so we have those who support, uh, who prefer to support monthly, and that those who prefer to support a program based, uh, whatever, like things which are based on a given program, like maybe surgeries or a project, you can let us know. We'll take you through the PayPal account. For those who are in the, in the U.S., we can take you through the PayPal account. The organization has a, a, a bank account. For those who would wish to do direct uh, transfers to the account and for those who would wish maybe to write checks, you can always reach out to us. The website is written there. For those who would wish to know maybe... Yes. Yes, and for those who wish maybe to know more about Kirungi Linet, I also have a Facebook. I'm also on Facebook. I use I use Kirungi Linet Ruboha. Then for those who are on LinkedIn, I still use Kirungi Linet. For those who are on Twitter, I use Linet Shirunji. So you can always get me there. We can keep talking and then you get to know more about me. I get to know more about you. And you will be able to understand more about the work we do. Of course, uh, among the programs that we have, we have the palliative, we have health and palliative care, which is one of the biggest programs. And of course, it's where we reach out to the survivors in hospital. 
try to support them with uh, the basic needs that they need, maybe the medical care support, uh, nutritional support. Uh, this is a big program because all, all the time we have survivors in hospitals that we need to look after too. And of course, we also have the, our, the home-based care because we don't just stop in hospital. We have to, to follow up these people when they reach out to their, when they go back to right. their homes, try to integrate them back to their communities, talk to their community members and tell them that these are the same people. They have not changed because of their identity. But the same people, what they used to be is what they are still, it's what they are still, it's what they are, they are now. So when we try to, to discuss it with the community members, their family members, it helps these people to regain confidence, to accept themselves, right. and even the people around them to accept them the way they are. Which, you, because for us, we believe love wins everything. And uh, that wins every we normally time. say, yeah, and we normally say never lose hope. Of course, and hope starts with you. But when you realize that the people around you, they're trying to make you hopeless, at times you also lose the sense of belonging and you at a given time you find yourself losing the hope that you had. And without hope, you can't go anywhere. You can't be anywhere. So without hope, yes, you will never, you... never be successful. So uh, out of the, the home-based care, of course, we have those we have been supporting with surgeries. You, you can support with the surgical program. We really yeah. have many survivors who would wish to undergo surgeries. But of course, as an organization, we don't have all that much money to support all these people to undergo surgeries. But we do believe if we can make a difference in one or two people at a given time, we can still manage to change everyone's life around us. But we normally believe it is better to have a humble beginning than trying to start with the big and you fail in the process. So for those who would wish to support the surgical program, please, you can reach us to us and we will let you know. We'll share with you the details of those who would wish to undergo surgeries. Then for you, you can decide on whom you can support. We also have, of course, um, Right now, we have the petition, which is ongoing. We really want more signatures. I, we wish, if at all, we can get at least 20 signatures, 20,000 signatures. That will be a great milestone. We need more signatures for the government of Uganda to accept this <coughs> and sign a law on the tax, because we really need the law on the tax. If at all, you cannot support us by signing the petition, Look at least go through the our 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 marketplace. We have this. We have tried to empower the survivors on how to make various products. Right. Many of our survivors can make bags. They can make shoes. They can make any kind of craft work. But we, right. what we own, we normally lack as Hope Care Rescue Mission. We don't have the market for the survivors' products. If at all you have maybe a store or you have a shop or you would wish to have these crafts as a person, please, you can reach out to us. We, we have a, You can reach out to the Hokram Market Store or you can yeah. reach out to rise to the rise at sun marketplace or the hokram at sun marketplace so you'll I be like able to that. see some of the various products these survivors have been making and you can yeah. support them directly by purchasing their products which will help them to earn a living to be able to support their children to go back to school and also to take care of themselves and live a better life 
And if you're watching this, I have visited hokram.org and there are, um, that is where I saw the beautiful woven baskets and things uh, or bowls or baskets and they are beautiful y'all. So that's a wonderful way to donate. You get a piece of Ugandan art um, shipped to yes. you and you help an acid attack survivor. And if you're, you know, I, I know it's COVID, times are tough. Every little donation counts because I noticed that um, the exchange rate between American dollars and the Ugandan dollar, I'm not sure what your money is called, is massive. So, um, shillings. So our, um, you know, a surgery, five or $600 can pay for a surgery in Uganda to help yes. someone. So, so that's what was huge. So every $5 counts. But if you can buy a basket, that's even better. And even if you can't do any, either of those things, um, definitely get on there, take a look at it and sign the petition because the Ugandan government needs to listen. Uh, Karungi, she works tirelessly. That's why she's my first guest on my podcast. I have watched her. Wow. I'm so happy about that. Then maybe what ah. I was trying to suggest that for those who are in the US, we have the Rise Artisan Market Store. You can reach out to Rise Coalition or you can check the Rise website. It is called Rise. www.rise.org It is a Rise. Rise Coalition. R Rise. It is in the US. W-W-W-R-I-S-E R-I-S-E coalition? Yes. So when okay. you reach out to RISE, you get to know more about some of these products because they have a market store where they try to sell the products made by the Ugandan acid attack survivors. So that you can place your orders. Yes. That, so you can place your orders there and these people will respond to you. Okay. So that's where I saw the baskets. I was a little confused for a moment. I lost my Rise Coalition. But um, tell me more, though, about what you do day to day, because I see you just all day, every day, training people, staying at the hospital with people, um, just giving. So you, you completed your education. You did not let that man stop you from getting your education and what what is it in is it in did you study social work or business or were you able just to take I, your degree of course, uh, i went back i did uh, social sciences i did a, a degree in social sciences and mm -hmm. uh, of course uh, my 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 journey as uh, like a, a journey working with us as survivors started when i had just uh, returned back to school I started volunteering at Milago Hospital where I would volunteer as a counselor, trying to give counseling to the survivors of acid attacks in hospital. At times they would invite me to talk to them or give, give them some kind of guidance. Then when right. I graduated still, I, to me it was a calling. I used to say, I would only say, um, like I would only rest after seeing a change in the lives of acid attack survivors. And I've always said that I will never rest until I see maybe the survivors' lives have changed. 
of the life right. of this of the cause as a person i do understand the life they go through i do understand the pain they have they are in their tears because it is something i've been through so i decided to like to to put all my everything to the work to work like to support us the attack survivors i've always been in hospitals where i normally go to hospital to give counseling and at times it's not really about counseling at times it's giving support in times of maybe it is financial support at times it's uh, giving the best items that they need and at times uh, we have been trying to support them whereby you find a survivor has been rejected by the entire family the person is all alone he or she doesn't have any person around him and she needs the support at least she needs people around him so we right. try to make sure we are always there as a family to support these people to move to recover from the whatever the situation they have been through for them to become to become better persons in life then i've also been of course a part of my work i, I work as the currently workers i founded an organization because i'm the founder of hope care rescue mission an organization that supports acid and bandit survivors and as the founder, I work as the executive director where I'm always involved in day-to-day -day activities of Hope Care Rescue Mission. So I'm always in and out trying to come up with various projects and at the same time trying to make sure these projects are working, are moving on very well. You have always seen me trying to train some of these survivors. Of course, we have trained some of our survivors in microloan, in, in business management. We have trained them in... Uh, tailoring we have the current group we, we have a current group which is doing tailoring and of, by next week we'll be giving out the machines we, we started with two survivors so next week we'll be giving them the tailoring machines of course we have many survivors who are interested in tailoring the tailoring program but due to the limited resources we decided to start with the two and maybe to keep on upgrading from one level to another. So we still, we so far have two, and the two tailoring machines will be given to the two survivors. But if at all we get more support, maybe in terms of donations, we can be able to train more survivors in tailoring, and uh, they are able will be able mm. to to do the work from their homes, and a living, and of course become self reliant. We have also been, of course, some of these survivors have been reaching out to me. Some of them are interested in hairdressing, doing makeup, wow. like, uh, but it is because we don't have all that resources. And if at all we had the survivor center, like where all these people would gather together and the survivor center is big, would just be hired the tailor, the trainer to come in and train them. But because we don't have the survivors center, we have to hire the trainer. We have to transport the survivors to and fro and also pay for their accommodation to, to be trained in any kind of, any kind of uh, maybe any, any aspect Coffee, of life, coffee. to be trained in anything because we don't have, uh, which becomes too expensive because we don't have all the resources to keep catering for their needs. So we would wish to have that. The tailoring program would wish it to continue and of course to also come up with our wish is to have the some of these survivors to undergo the hairdressing course because it is a it is a course that they all wish to do and it is a course which is which at least which can help them earn a living on a daily basis than even tailoring because for it many people many women outside there they do love makeup 
men women love making like trade doing the hairdressing so these people will never fail to get customers because this is a day to day kind of work so of course we also been uh, we also yes also of course we also trained these people in financial management and after giving them the skills we gave them micro loans we gave them micro loans uh, in mm. form of startup capital to start up small businesses for themselves to be able to like to get empowered and to be able to compete with other groups of people outside there and also earn a living but not only earn a living but it's like uh, challenging the community that uh, they are survivors yes they have the scars they are disfigured but mm-hmm. they can still do what other people who are fine who are very mm-hmm. okay can do so to this project was uh, was mainly to challenge the communities and of course to help the survivors regain more confidence to move forward and at least many of our survivors who got the micro loans have really improved we have the we have the documentaries we, which we did for the monitoring where we were trying to understand whether the the money helps them or not and according to the documentary you could see a very big change from how this person started and where she is right now so that one What really shows know? an impact yeah so that one really shows that there is a very big impact that we have so far caused in those who got the micro loan so not only the micro loan of course uh, many of these survivors did have any kind of skill and we didn't want them to keep like to become like a burden on their relatives or their or their mm-hmm. maybe the parents or anyone so we tried to we got them as a group all the survivors we tried to categorize them in groups and we trained them in various skills so we have those who are trained in making shoes they can make any type of shoes there are those who are trained in making jewelries they can make all types of jewelries then there are those who are trained in making the artwork that is like uh, baskets we have any like uh, decorations all those types of decorations then we have those other groups who we, whom we trained to make uh, they are able to make liquid shops so all these projects come in to help these people earn a living because we want them to to stand on their on their own on and things. also be able to support their own families So that's what mainly we've been doing of course uh, as hokram yeah, i think we might look small but maybe the impact we have so far caused it is something that cannot be taken for granted at least we have tried our best with the limited resources we have tr- supported many survivors to undergo surgeries and you we have many impact stories which have been written where you see survivor how the person used to look like and how now she's looking like how this person was uh, supported to move from a given level to another and all these impacts can be really can always be seen if at all this person wants to know more about the work we do and of course it's not only about that personally i would say i'm an activist i'm an activist right. for change right i'm a survivors activist what i only want is to see the rights of the underserved especially the acid survivors i want to see their rights being respected i want to see their rights being recognized i want to see survivors living a decent life and of course yeah what i also want to see is to see these people living a happy life of course they have already suffered the pain they've been like they've been in hell 
And since they have survived, I would wish for them to live a better life as the second chance that God gave them. So um, I would say, like, I'm an activist. I think that's what I'm, oh, I'm, I'm known for that, in, especially when it comes to Uganda. Many people call me a survivor's activist. So I'm well known about, uh, as an, a survivor's activist. Right. Because that, I've been like a voice for all these people trying to advocate for their rights, advocating for changes in laws, advocating for different things. So that is me. And of course, as an organization still, we do the same thing. We have, we have been advocating for the rights of these people, advocating mm -hmm. for changes in laws. Of course, yeah. uh, we have been doing a lot of advocacy work. And of course, uh, the, much of the advocacy work has been done with me being the head because I would say I'm the first of the organization. So I've been, we, uh, the advocacy work has really been done. Then we have also been doing awareness, where we have been trying to raise awareness about the problem, creating awareness, like doing community outreaches, reaching out to various members of parliament and everyone to discuss about this problem, to tell them that this is a very big problem which really needs attention and it is killing the society. And at least we have had some attention from some members of parliament, some people trying to come out and some women activists like you and women and other women activists trying to join our efforts to, to call for a changes in laws and also to call the government of Uganda to come up with the, a, a law which will stop this kind of violence against women, girls and all people in the country. Right. And I think that that, you know, Lynette, this is the reason that I wanted to do this podcast and take time to let people who are underserved and underheard and who need to tell their stories, give them a platform to tell their stories. And that's kind of what you're doing, but you're going so much further and it's you know I, I started a charity as well and I hope that um, it I can run it as well as you run yours right now oh. um, <laughs> mine is new I hope that I can do that but I do know that if everyone here were to um, sign the petition at least and definitely look at the Rise Coalition, um, the the um, baskets on that. I was thinking, I saw them on hookroom.org, but I saw them on Rise Coalition. They're beautiful guys it's, and it's a great way to donate to them and they're made by the survivors. There's nothing better than yes. that. There's nothing better. And they are made than, with person. Yeah. I mean, that there's nothing. When better. you just look at them, when you just look at the various designs that these people keep coming up with, they're beautiful. They really love the work we do. They really love the work they do, they, and they really try as much as possible, like to perfect the work they're trying to do, for everyone to admire their work. Because we have always told them that disability is not inability. You can perfect something and look like as if the something has been done, has been made by a machine. So these people have really tried to, when you look at their items, really look great. And uh, 
what the only luck is market. So if at all you can support us and maybe keep purchasing the products of these survivors, or if at all you have where you can sell some of these products from, we have as many pro like the store is very full. We can we can sit together and maybe decide on how what can can we can be done maybe to make sure these products are able to reach wherever you are and these products right. can, can products yeah. are able to be sold and then we can make something out of it to support these survivors. That's amazing. So we're we're at the end of our hour almost. So if there was one thing, one last thing you could say that you want people to know or that you want people to help with, just one last thing, the most important thing about everything you've been through and everything you do, what would it be? <laughs> I would say the first one thing, for all those who would wish others to be happy, I think you shouldn't think of asset. If you personally, you love being happy, you love being that most beautiful husband or handsome person, Never think of acid or attacking any other person with acid because it's always to think twice before you act. And it's always good to put your shoes in the shoes of that person that if I told I was the one, how would they feel? Then maybe secondly, for those who have been watching, I would say I would like to say thank you so much for all your time you've really sacrificed to hear from us. I would like to also appreciate the Bandy Beauty Tool 2018 for all your efforts making sure the voice of us that tax survivors, like their voices are being heard for people to really understand what it means for someone to be an acid survivor, the life the person goes through, and maybe how this person should be helped to be to live a better life. We really need your support, friends. We have yes. the website. You'll really be able to see some of the various programs we have. For those who are unable to check the website, you can check the Facebook page, which is uh, Hope Care Rescue Mission. It is our Facebook page. You'll be able to understand more about the life of acid survivors. We really need uh, support, even if it is a $1, $10, $20, or a pound, or any kind of support you have. We have those who have been willing to su support survivors with uh, tangible products, maybe clothing. Others have been they right. have been sending us some books, motivational books to support these people emotionally to come back to their normal life. So anything you have, because we also have a postal address, which is uh, PO Box uh, 2575. Then your things, anything you have for Hope Care Rescue Mission, it will be able to reach us and it will go where you want it. If at all you mm -hmm. have money to support some of our orphans, we have children of the survivors who passed away and these children are and they are all in our hands. We have these children, they really need school fees. Of recent, I was talking to Tonya, I was telling her about Shanita. Shanita lost the husband. Shanita is an acid survivor. She has one eye. Yeah. And one eye, is, of course, is also partially. She lost her husband during the second lockdown. Her husband was just killed when he was on his way back home. He was killed by thugs. So Shanita was remained with the pregnancy. She just gave birth. So she okay. before the yeah, before she, the husband died, she had three children and now she has four. 
but Shanita doesn't have anything. She needs money for school fees for her children. She needs money to take care of herself. Of course, we have been training Shanita to do the tailoring and we'll be giving her the tailoring machine. But she has a big family. We can, the, the, the little money she'll be getting from the tailoring cannot, afford, cannot help her to take care of all the needs of her family. If at all there is any person outside there who would wish to sponsor our education program for the acid survivors' children, we are really so we will all we will receive this with all our gratitude with mm. all our hands. So like uh, we, because yeah. for us we mind more about making the life of these survivors the the easiest. Like uh, trying to make it to put a smile on all these people Everybody because we normally say that. Uh, Hope Care Rescue Mission is the home where hope starts from. You will never have hope when your children are suffering. If you're a no. mother, you're crying. These children don't have what to eat. You never tell someone that you're happy. So we need to make these people happy. By making them happy, we need to support their needs. It would be grateful to so see good. you reaching out to us. So thank you so much, Bandy Beauty 2018 for all your time and for all the viewers i would like to say thank you for the your taking this great like for giving us this great opportunity to listen and of course to understand more about this kind of uh, like the issue of asdata i am what well, we're wrapping it up and everyone you heard that i'm going to put <laughs> all the websites and things in the comments you'll be able to see them um, on all the all the podcasts, um, if you do have the the ability to make a donation now or save it until later, these um, podcasts are going to be up forever. They're always going to be there. It's always going to be on YouTube. You can always refer back to it. But you know, my I, I have. I'm very thankful to have had this interview with Karungi because I have been working for only about a year now to help survivors regain their confidence. But this is so much beyond that. This is helping people regain their whole life because mm -hmm. they're losing family members. They're, they're not able to get the same medical care that we are friends, they, they're not, if you, there's no one to help you if you if you can't pay um, the hospital. So these things are just, it felt so hopeless in my heart to me that I wanted to talk about it and put it out there because I just didn't know that much about it until now. So this is Burn Beauty 2018 and Karungi Linetti, my 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 first guest for both episode one and episode two. Listen to both um, to hear her story and to hear what she does. And under both stories, you will find ways to assist Ugandan asset attack survivors. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, whatever you're going through, this too shall pass. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.